Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. Welcome and great to have you with us. It's been four days since a bag of cocaine was found in the White House. Still no telling who it belongs to, but everyone has a guess, don't you think? Perhaps the most secure building in the world, the most advanced security systems in the world, and a pretty well-trained force of Secret Service agents. And it's a Secret Service well-experienced in many things, including cover-ups, unfortunately. A lot of practice there. Uniform Secret Service found the substance, a controlled substance, as it later turned out. They called in the Fire Department Hazmat's team, which said they found the cocaine in the White House library, which happens to be just two floors directly below the White House living quarters. Listen to that dispatch call now, confirming the location and the substance. Repeat, I didn't copy your results on the Gemini. Gemini's results are a new match found with a red bar. New match found in the library. We'll go ahead and bag Come on up. First, the record has that we have a result on the Gemini. We have a yellow bar stating cocaine hydrochloride. Path number 53-21-4. It wasn't until a short time after that confirmation the Secret Service spun into action and disputing where the cocaine had been found. Were they trying to cover for Hunter Biden, who had been in the White House days earlier? Secret Service now says the D.C. dispatch was inaccurate and that the cocaine was found in the West Wing area where visitors and employees leave their electronic devices. Conveniently, the Secret Service version would distance Hunter from the area where the fire department says the cocaine was, shielding the president's son as they've done for so long. What do you think? President Trump posted the following on Truth Social right after the discovery. Quote, Where are the White House security tapes, like the ones I openly and happily gave to deranged Jack Smith, which will quickly show where the cocaine in the White House came from? They already know the answer, but probably don't like it. It may be a while before the mystery is solved. Truth takes longer with the Bidens. More action in the Gulf region. The U.S. Navy stopped the Iranian Revolutionary Guard when they tried to seize two oil tankers in separate incidents in the Gulf. A Navy-guided missile destroyer arrived on the scene and the Iranian Navy withdrew quickly. The second incident, just three hours later. The Iranian Navy fired on a Bahamian flag Chevron crude oil carrier. The shots reportedly hit the tanker's hull, but no injuries, no significant damage to the tanker. Just last week, Biden's Iran envoy, Robert Malley, was placed on leave amid a security clearance review. The security clearance review comes as Malley allegedly is being investigated for mishandling of classified materials. 
And the State Department this week issued a travel advisory for all traveling to China. The department made this statement. Quote, U.S. citizens traveling or residing in the PRC may be detained without access to U.S. consular services or information about their alleged crime. The State Department warning goes on to say, foreigners in the PRC, including but not limited to business people, former foreign government personnel, academics, relatives of PRC citizens involved in legal disputes, and journalists have been interrogated and detained by PRC officials for alleged violations of PRC national security laws. End of statement. Our guest today just arrived back in America after a congressional delegation trip to the Pacific region. Joining us now is Congressman Corey Mills. Congressman Mills sits on the House Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees. And Congressman Mills, as I said, has just returned from inspecting and being briefed by the Indo-Pacific Command. And I want to just say, first of all, Congressman, welcome back to the United States. And I don't know how you keep up your schedule. Thanks for being with us. Give us your overall impression of the military readiness of the U.S. in the region. Yeah, thanks, Lou. I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't think my body clock is necessarily caught up to being back in the U.S., but uh, always happy to be back and uh, love being able to celebrate our uh, amazing Independence Day on this 4th of July. And uh, so uh, a little bit about the trip. So as you know, I'm a member of the House Armed Services Committee but also a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And of those committees, I sit on uh, the Intelligence Special Operations Subcommittee, uh, the Military Personnel Subcommittee. I sit on the Oversight Accountability of uh, Foreign Affairs. And then I also sit as the Vice Chair of Africa Region. And this trip in particular was really to try and look and evaluate where our strengths are, where our our weaknesses are, and how we can better prepare ourselves in the Indo-Pacific region. Now, we know that China has continued to be more emboldened in their kind of malign activities because of their uh, responses that they've received from Joe Biden, where he's essentially done nothing to push back. Very, very vast contrast when you compare that to President Trump, who held our adversaries accountable. So during this trip, we made a trip out to visit with Admiral Aquilino, uh, the Indo-PACOM commander there in Hawaii. We went off to Guam to meet with counterparts in Guam from the United States Marine Corps, uh, the U.S. Navy, as well as for the United States Army. Uh, we went off to the Philippines to evaluate uh, what is happening there from a joint training and facilitation, uh, as well as to Tokyo and uh, other parts of Kadena Air Base, uh, visiting our United States Army, our United States Air Force, and again, our, our Marine Corps and, and sailors, and then to Taiwan where we met with President Tsai, uh, as well as for all of our military liaisons there, uh, before returning back to Hawaii for a final briefing with General Flynn of the United States Army, and then onwards back to the U.S. Uh, so quite a, quite a robust trip, uh, getting briefs on, uh, again, what our current military strengths are, uh, from a manning, from an equipping perspective, noting that we had just finished in the committee the National Defense Authorization Act that would allocate funding in order to try and ensure that we are prepared to mitigate future threats, but also to try and ensure the quality of life improvement of our military armed force members. Uh, during this trip, I had an amazing experience to be able to talk with a lot of our armed services members, uh, everything from senior officers to our non-commissioned officers to our low enlisted, 
discussing things that are important to them, quality of life, uh, how their living conditions are and what kind of milk on that we may need in those areas, how well prepared that they feel that they are and how their command has been uh, demonstrating and, and, and you know spreading out and interpreting uh, the threat. Uh, as well as for what their actual just basic needs are, you know, kind of evaluating whether our retention is going to still be where it needs to be to be able to ensure that we have the strongest volunteered uh, armed services uh, group that is possible uh, within, you know, or, or in the world. And again, my biggest reason for asking those questions, as you know, Luke, is that I have an absolute fear of this America last social experimentation of DEI. This is the diversity, equity, and inclusion that has been continuing to poison the minds of our armed forces, the way that the uh, left tried to utilize CRT in our educational systems and tried to utilize ESG in our corporations. And so this was another thing that concerns me. And I just to get points out to the viewers, uh, you know, we are now facing a 25,000 plus recruitment shortage. When you combine that to the nearly 8,600 that was unconstitutionally purged out of our military due to the COVID vaccinations, you're not talking about nearly a three division shortage throughout our military. This is massive when we're talking about potential threats of the China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea geopolitical alignment, knowing that they have an intent to, to go after the West and whether that be kinetic or non-influence operations, we need to ensure that we're ready, not because we want war, but because we want to be strong enough to deter war. You know, this is the old Reagan peace through strength mechanism, but it's also just about making sure that America and our military stays strong and is not poisoned by Secretary Lloyd and Joe Biden's social experimentation on attacking culture and trying to ensure that our military is focused on DEI instead of what they really should be focused on, which is increased lethality, readiness, and being properly equipped. I, I hope I hope that we are closer to the latter than the former, but I have the distinct impression uh, that this administration is quite content to let Lloyd Austin destroy the military wholesale, uh, and with him, uh, General Mark Milley, uh, who is a fool with a lot of stars on his shoulder, in my opinion. I'm not, uh, and I won't ask you to comment on that, but I want to get my opinion uh, out there straight up uh, about where I'm coming from. Uh, this is, uh, this this military leadership is a, a, a an insult. Uh, to the United States. Uh, and, and I just can't understand uh, how uh, it would be necessary as a matter of oversight that they should be brought to heel on DEI, uh, on the way in which they should be proceeding with recruiting and retention, because they are driving troops out intentionally. I don't understand why That's those exactly troops right. who went out, Congressman, who were forced out of the military because they wouldn't take a vaccine, why hasn't that been rectified? Wow. Why aren't they back in military, those who want it? Well, that's a great question, Lou. And just to go ahead and echo your sentiments, I can tell you that I have that same feeling of disdain for what Secretary Austin is doing to our military to weaken us. But I will comment on the fact that myself, uh, as well as for Congressman Jim Banks, who is the chair of the subcommittee on military personnel, as well as for my colleague, Matt Gates, we are going very heavily after uh, those who were purged out of our United States military, not just, and this was kind of some of the amendments that I was actually pressing during the NDAA, which is things like preventing 
you know, our service members get bonuses sometimes when they first enlist. They call them your enlistment bonus, as they will. Right. When they came into the military, they weren't there to serve a political agenda. They were there to serve the nation. And these people were unconstitutionally purged. And now, to add insult to injury, the DOD is now trying to go after those soldiers, those airmen, those sailors, the Marines, those guardians who were purged out of the military, and tell them they now have to pay back their signing bonuses. Now, this is absolute lunacy that you're going to ask these members who served our nation, who was willing to continue their service but didn't want to take the jab, and now they're being forced to try and pay back a bonus that they've likely already spent as young you know, uh, men and women. And so my personal opinion and what I've talked to Chairman Banks about, as well as for my colleagues, is that not only do I feel that this shouldn't be permitted, but we should be allowing these military uh, members back into the military should, you know, should they actually choose and give them full back pay, full benefits, and allow them to serve out the time that they would like to serve in our military back to the armed forces, not to a political agenda, not towards DEI, not towards a COVID vaccination that was unconstitutionally implemented, but to actually serve the armed forces as they had intended in uniform to try and keep our nation safe. Hear, hear. We're talking with Congressman Corey Mills. We'll continue our conversation right after these quick messages. We seem to be in a situation, folks, where, as Congressman Mills says, the U.S. military is trying to out-pronoun our enemies. We'll be back with Corey Mills next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with Congressman Corey Mills, and we're talking about the readiness, the lethality of our forces. Uh, It can be nowhere near where it should be, Congressman, in my opinion, based on what you've said, with three divisions down, and we're already operating from that very low base of readiness with even fewer combat brigades than we've had uh, at any time since the Cold War. Well, that's exactly right, Lou. Look, we are the strongest fighting force in the world. And that's because of the dedicated men and women who are still willing to wear that uniform and still willing to carry out their duties there on the front lines. You know, the problem is that we as America, and especially within Congress, we need to be providing all the necessary reinforcement and support to ensure that they don't have to do without or try and do more with less, but that have more than what they actually need from a support element, from a family readiness element, from a military element. But instead, what you're seeing is drag shows and pride month flags on military installations you're seeing on social media where the DOD has a soldier, a sailor, an airman, uh, a Marine saluting a pride flag as opposed to the American flag. 
And we have people who are focusing on diversity and equity and inclusion training or pronoun training as opposed to what they should be focused on, which is getting ready to either be in the fight or preparing to be ready whenever that fight comes. And so, you know, this is where our deterrence, our best asset that we have as a nation for peace is to demonstrate to our adversaries and those who are trying to uh, harm us in the West that we are ready to take on the fight. The more that we are ready, the more that we have that peace through strength ideology, the more that we actually demonstrate that we are not the individual to try and push over, the more our adversaries stay at bay and we see more of a peace throughout the globe. And so this is where our, our focus should be. This is where our attention should be. Because I can tell you, while we may be out, you know, able to out-pronoun all of our enemies, our enemies and our adversaries are not thinking about the he, him, she, her, they, them mentality. They're thinking about how do I get my military industrial base up to be able to support a fight that could be in longevity? How can my fighters be improved in their increased lethality? How can we ensure readiness and deployment capabilities? That's the things that they're focused on that we should be prioritizing. But instead, you've got a woke military through the weakness of Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is poisoning and indoctrinating our armed forces. You have Joe Biden, who is placing his identity politics above the thing that should matter, which is meritocracy. And I'm glad to see some of the affirmative action uh, being struck down in SCOTUS, because I think that that sets the right precedence for us to be able to move forward. But the reality is this, Lou, if we walk through the rows and rows of headstones in Arlington Cemetery or any national cemetery across this great nation, we don't look and identify those headstones by its race or its creed or its gender or its religion. We identify it by the sacrifices of heroes. And if you didn't know the individual who sat beneath that headstone and you only saw their name, you would have no clue the color of their skin or how they identify with regards to their religious beliefs. And that's the way we're supposed to be as a nation. We're supposed to be honoring our service members, honoring the heroes who have made sacrifices, questioning ourselves daily whether or not we're actually doing anything that was worthy of the sacrifices that were set before us, and ensuring in Congress, and especially in the United States government, that we're providing the necessary allocations of funding to support our military armed forces, but also their spouses. We need to ensure that they have a good quality of life. We need to ensure child care on military installations for spouses and for children. We need to ensure that there's opportunities available for them as they transition either into the military or out of the military. These should be our priorities, not pronouns and what color of skin you are. Well, it's obviously not, though, the, uh, the priority of the command, uh, the general officers of the U.S. military. Uh, it also goes a ways toward explaining uh, how uh, uh, morons uh, in that group of uh, officers came up with the long war doctrine, uh, and we it turned out to be more a uh, uh, more a, a prophecy uh, than a doctrine because that's exactly what we got in Afghanistan after David Petraeus wrote that doctrine and the and the idiots uh, in the general staff uh, subscribed to it. We haven't won a war. We haven't won a war since 1991. Uh, and, and this military, I don't understand how they think they're so clever. 
they are not measured on their success. They're managed uh, apparently, uh, and uh, and meet a metric of of how of longevity. If you can survive the bureaucracy in the military, you've done something. I, I have to say, this military leadership that we have is not worthy of the men and women who are service members serving uh, as enlisted uh, personnel. Uh, I, I I just can't even understand why we put up with their cute nonsense. Uh, the you know the four stars are running around in uh, in G six fifties, private jets. What are we doing with this military and this general staff that is three times as large uh, as it was what twenty years ago? Well, I'll tell you. You know, we have a situation whereby you've got some of our general officers who are absolutely subscribing to this woke nonsense, this uh, cultural change, this uh, pronoun DEI and pride, you know, type of, you know, uh, uh, ideology as their priorities. And meanwhile, you also have some amazing general officers who are in there who are truly trying to fight this, who are trying to ensure that they can, you know, outlast the, the continuation of degradation of our military by people like Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is ultimately responsible. And they're doing everything they can to protect and shield their soldiers and their airmen and the Marines, their sailors, uh, their guardians from all this wokeness to try and ensure that they can actually push forward and be ready. And they're doing it with less. And that's not the answer here. We need to, as Congress, and that's why, and again, America elected a Republican majority for a reason. And that's so that we can govern the way that we were supposed to govern by constitutionality and by what is American values. As a person who has served in our United States military as an Army combat veteran myself, I can tell you that our military strength, our readiness, and our ability to support and serve them is the top priority for me. And I will always ensure that our men in uniform are always taken care of, they are protected, they're given what they need, but also our veterans who are transitioning out are being provided the necessary support and the counseling and the medical you know, uh, capabilities and treatments that they deserve after rendering service to this great nation. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not gonna get out of the fight, as you know, Lou, uh, I can tell you Chairman Banks is not ready to get out of the fight. Neither are many of my colleagues like Congressman Ronnie Jackson or even our chairman of HASC, uh, Mike Rogers. Uh, we are very much, and that's why that trip for us was so significant. That's why the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, is so important. And that's why we are continuing to evaluate ways that we can strengthen our military. And in my opinion, one of the first ways to do that is to impeach Lloyd Austin, which I have actually provided a draft of my impeachment articles for a willful negligence of duty or a dereliction of duty, which he, in my opinion, has subscribed to a thousand percent. We're talking with Congressman Corey Mills when we return in just one moment. We're going to find out why the U.S. military, the United States uh, uh, commander in chief, has not responded publicly to China's intention to build a military base on Cuba. We will return in just one moment. Please stay with us. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with Congressman Corey Mills. China ramping up its uh, military, obviously, uh, on every uh, on, on every uh, point of, and every level, uh, whether it's sea, or air, or our ground troops, are we ready to meet? In, and I'm just going to talk about the Indo-Pacific region here, where you've just spent some considerable time and energy uh, assessing that region and our preparedness. Are we ready for what they're getting ready to throw at us? Well, I would say that I think that thanks to uh, this upcoming National Defense Authorization Act allocation, uh, as well as for just the amazing uh, uniformed military that we absolutely would be victorious should this uh, come to bear. We are hopeful that it doesn't. We're doing everything in deterrence. But to comment on your earlier statement, Lou, what Joe Biden is doing right now, and I refuse to call it commander in chief, as he has to act like one before I can actually, you know, feel he's deserving of the title. But he is actually weakening us in every single way, militarily, economically, as well as for politically. And our adversaries do not fear us. Our allies do not respect us. And meanwhile, China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea continue to strengthen themselves throughout the world. You're seeing this where China has advanced their Belt and Road Initiative, where they are continuing to push to expand the Eurasian borders. They are connecting uh, key maritime and overland supply chain routes for uh, precious rare minerals, as well as for other types of resources for readiness and preparedness. You've got them expanding out all of Africa, They are now trying to dominate Oceania with our trade lines, which would allow them to cut off Western Hemisphere's supply chain so that they could start attacking the United States through a cutoff of uh, economic resources. And now, to add it to even a worse situation, they're in our own hemisphere. You've got the marriage of convenience with Russia, where they are now able to go into the Chavez of Venezuela or Pedro, who is the newly elected in Colombia, who is embracing the communist uh, idea. Uh, ideology. But now they're even going a step further to get closer to the United States by building a spy and a surveillance and joint training base in Cuba, 92 miles off of my state that I'm a delegate of in the state of Florida. And so they're not even trying to just keep this on their side of the globe. They're actually coming into our own Western Hemisphere and right off of our own shores. And the Biden administration has done nothing not a single thing that I can say is tangible to prevent this or to address it or to even put out a statement that we will not accept certain things. They're flying spy balloons over our country. They are continuing to buy up our farmland and food security is directly related to national security. They are utilizing economic coercion 
of Panama and Honduras, where they can get uh, complete control over the Panama Canal for its taxation and its tariffs and its actual passages. So they are encircling the United States in a way to drown us out from an economic and resource perspective while attempting to try and eliminate the petrodollar through, through OPEC and replace that with either the yen or the ruble or uh, another source of, of currency because they want to eliminate the U.S. dollar from the global currency to throw us in hyperinflation. We are treating them as if they are just a competitor. They are not competitors. They are an adversarial nation. And we need to start decoupling our reliance on these nations. We need to start strengthening our military. We need to start strengthening our energy dominance. We need to get back to controlling our own food supply and food security by protecting our agricultural sector. And we have to strengthen our industry by investing in America and not continuing to send American taxpayer dollars outside of our country where it needs to be right here to support the American people. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have been warning about each of these dependencies that have been created by the globalist elites who run our principal institutions, whether it be corporate America or should call it not corporate America, because most of them are just globalist corporates, uh, whether right. it is education or whether it is uh, the Marxist Dem Party. This is this is no longer about wait and see. This is very simply, as you're outlining it, uh, we either do something now, uh, and I, by now, I mean between now and 2024's election, uh, or we're, we're facing ruin because we haven't heard an articulated response from this administration uh, about uh, the challenges, the threats posed by China, uh, by uh, and what's more incredible, uh, Iran itself, while the administration is negotiating a, a pathway to a nuclear weapon for Iran. Uh, this is this is madness on, on its face, and it seems that our government is the it's the only institution that doesn't get it. The American people see what fools we've been over the last 30 Biden years. administration is more pro-China than they are pro-America, Lou. And that's just the okay. bottom line. And we see that. They're trying to engage back into the failed JCPOA, which was known as Resolution 2231 in the United Nations Security Council that President Trump took us out of, that we know Iran violated on multiple occasions through two UN secretaries, which was Ban Ki-moon, as well as for Gutierrez, and was sending mid-range ballistic missiles to our uh, to others in Yemen so they could attack our allies. I mean, and we did nothing about this. You know, it was President Trump who was the one who eliminated Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. It was President Trump who actually eliminated the INF Treaty with Russia. It was President Trump who actually stopped the trade, uh, the, you know, indifference that was going on where China was taking advantage of us by putting in the China phase one deal. It was President Trump who eliminated Qasem Soleimani, as well as uh, Abu Mehdi al-Mahandis, who was the leaders of the Iranian proxy militias in the Middle East. And meanwhile, this administration has done what? Left Americans behind in Afghanistan, which I know a little something about, given the fact I'm the only member of Congress who actually rescued Americans out of Afghanistan. And they have handed over our ability to be a strong resource in the Indo-Pacific region by trying to go ahead and acquiesce to any response or request that China has had. And they're still trying to go on the apology tour with everyone to act as if America is at fault here, when instead what we should be doing is, is bolstering our strength while gaining continual alliance and mutual 
support in these uh, areas like in the Indo-Pacific, building our relationships with Japan, who has stepped up, building up our relationship with AUKUS, the Australia, UK and US relationships, looking at our bilateral, trilateral and also our quad agreements. I mean, these are all key elements that we need to be focusing on from a strategic element. And meanwhile, he's more prioritizing on pronouns, Hunter Biden's cocaine habits, and whether or not he's actually going to even try to remember what flavor of ice cream he wants next week. And as, as we're getting uh, near the uh, the end of the conversation today, uh, I want to thank you again for being with us. And it's fascinating to hear your assessments uh, after the uh, the the trip to uh, the Indo-Pacific Command and region. I would like to ask you this. If we are to prevail in the 2024 election, do you think right now that the Republicans are moving sufficiently aggressively enough uh, to get the job done? Whether it be the uh, investigating be committees, whether whether it be the, the broad investigators uh, across the board. Investigations are great, and we definitely need to ensure that we're following due process and order. Uh, we do live in a, in a country which does believe in the rule of law and people being innocent until proven guilty, though the Democrats would like to treat President Trump and others differently. But to answer your first question, no, I don't think we're moving aggressively enough. I think that 2024 is closer than we are, are, are actually treating it. I think that we need to be getting our ballot harvesting and, and, and our get out the vote at a rate that, that you know, we've never seen. I think that we have to take a very strong constitutional and conservative approach on utilizing the left's uh, kind of games against them or actually outplaying them in them. You know, I think 2024, we're lucky if we get it to that point without this nation continually falling into an economic uh, failure. But we have to do something now, Lou. You know, we say it every single election, oh, this is the most important election we'll ever face. I think that we're seeing now with the millions upon millions who are flooding and, and, and streaming across our borders with the thousands upon thousands that are dying of fentanyl overdoses every single month, every single year, with the fact that there's more child and human sex trafficking by the cartels who are now making $13 billion a year, the fact that our economy is continuing to go down and we're not actually doing enough because we have an inflation rate that is driving people into poverty. You know, this administration is eliminating our middle class. They are saddling, you know, the rest of the, the, the country with debt. And the only way that we're going to stop this is to ensure that we win the 2024 elections that we get President Trump back in office, that we maintain a larger majority in the House, that we take back the Senate, that we get strong leadership, and we're able to make the necessary bold course corrections to get America back on the track to being America. If not, then what we may see in future generations will not be reminiscent or reflective of the America that we all grew up in and that we all know. Congressman Corey Mills, a great American, and thanks everybody for being with us. Our guest here tomorrow will be China expert Gordon Chang, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer retired as we continue our discussions on China's global aggression. A reminder to follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs and on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. We hope you'll join us back here tomorrow for The Great America Show. Till then, thanks, God bless you, and God bless America.